know, you have power to create your own material. And even if it is five minutes at a cafe somewhere, um, do they still have cafes? I don't know. So. How, do, how do the people live? I don't know. Welcome and thank you for listening to Almost Almost Famous, the podcast where actors, writers, comedians talk about the ups and downs, ebbs and flows of working towards making this crazy biz and how they're almost almost famous. I'm your host, Daniel Acker. Today's guest is started in the Netflix movie Me Time and can be seen in Search Party, The Goldbergs, Bob's Burgers, or perhaps you know him best from his incredible solo stage shows or his hilarious online videos. It's none other than Drew Drogi. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. morning. Oh, I just came in really hot. I can tell. I've got too much energy. I've had too much coffee. We love it. That's how we want our guests <laughs> to come in. Come in hot. You know, we've known each other for a while. We've performed together yeah. and done shows. What was your journey to get to kind of acting and comedy? Was this like as a child you always knew or was it a later in life development? Yeah, I would say yes and no. Because like, I feel like as a child, I mean, I was, I was three years old and I was watching the Carol Burnett show reruns and was uh, obsessed with that show. And, and I loved, you know, I, I was kind of, I look back on my childhood. I loved monsters. Like I loved the thriller video. I loved Freddy Krueger. I was so into like, you know, this other life. I, I, I had a very a lovely, great childhood that was like free of too much trauma or anything. And I, I don't know why I was like seeking out, adventure and always like but I always loved like watching the Muppets and seeing like when Alice Cooper would come on and be like I loved Halloween I loved all the like kind of like I mean I look back and I'm like the drag of it really but like also like the costume and the just like character creature thing that I loved and I loved the sketch comedy of Carol Burnett show and then later I got into SNL and Kids in the Hall and Living Color was also really big for me and so like I love these are shows that I like definitely loved but I never thought that I would do that with my life. I just kind of thought, well, this is this thing that I that I really like. Even in college, I went to I went to college in North Carolina at Wake Forest, which is a great school, but not, you know, really a, a school that's like trains you to be an actor. And um, I went there to be an English professor and to do theater on the side. I thought I was going to just teach English, and that would be my my life. And um, English department was too hard and too many too much reading and writing and too many dead old white guys that I had to write papers about and I hated it really. I mean, I, you know, there were obviously things I love, but I became a minor in English, but I just kept hanging out in the theater department and doing plays. I directed a lot in college. And so even then I never thought I would be doing this as an actor. Um, I was cast. I mean, I was usually cast in like smaller parts or like as a lot of dads and grandfathers and carrot cause I'm six, three. And I was always like kind of, tall and imposing and I could learn lines, but I was never, I was rarely the star of college plays or anything. And really my senior year, I had a, a professor that came in and really encouraged me a lot as a performer and was basically saying, you should go do improv. You should do Christopher Durang plays. You should do Charles Bush plays. You should really find like the thing, like your, your lane in this as a, you know, and I had heard about the Groundlings in LA, and I had and and so, and I had a lot of friends that were moving to New York, and a lot of friends were moving to LA. And I was like, I wanted the adventure after college. And I looked at both. I'd been to New York way more times, and and uh, but I I honestly was like, I think I'm going to try LA because of the weather, and because I kind of want to try this, take a class or two at the Groundlings. I mean, yeah. and because um, I went in the lobby of that theater, and there were so many 
not only names that I knew, but there were faces that I knew in the lobby. And I was like, oh, it's, it's that guy. It's, oh, it's her from that movie. I, she's my favorite part of the every, you know. And so I was really just like, I was just like, I want to learn to do what they do there, but didn't plan on being in LA for long. And just like, I just loved it and met people there and met people in LA that I liked a lot. And the next, I mean, I say the next thing I knew. 10 years later, I got my first job like professionally as an actor, but I just kind of was like, I spent my twenties kind of like waiting tables and taking these classes that were really hard that I really wasn't killing it in. And I just kind of kept checking in with myself and being like, oh, this is what I've always wanted to do. And I needed to sort of like come out about that. But I've always sort of had this embarrassment about it. What I sort of connected with a lot of people in the improv world is that we're a little bit self-deprecating or a lot self-deprecating instead of, you know, of being like, I don't know what I'm doing. It's stupid. It's just this thing, you know? And I kind of connected to that a little bit more than like the actors who are just like, you're welcome. I have arrived to tell a story and be brilliant. Like I've never connected to that type of actor and that person. And I thank God I still don't, but I, I hope I never come off like that, you know, and, you know, after having done, a bunch of solo shows, which I thought were the most self-serving, arrogant thing ever. And I ended up doing a bunch of them later. But yeah, and and so I, yeah, it's it's been this 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 like slow climb to like find myself within it and um and enjoy doing it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it just seems like you're one of those uh kind of performers and people who made their way to this by like your almost unconsciously moving towards it. Like you really were like, that's not a thing. I'm not going to do that. English major yeah. is a thing. I can right. teach English. And then it's like, oh, but I find myself gravitating towards theater more. And I'm going to go to LA and take a class. And you just kind of followed the fun. I love that you said you checked in with yourself because I feel like that's such a crucial thing that a lot of people don't do. And to go, yes. am I actually enjoying this or am I on a hamster wheel and I'm just kind of moving? I totally, I, I know it's that thing. And, and there's sometimes, you know, I think you do feel like you are on the hamster wheel, even within it, but like big picture. Yeah. It's sort of like, I, I'm going to keep doing this until somebody tells me I can't, or like, until like something else comes along that I can't deny, like, you know. Yeah. Now with the uh, solo shows, cause you've done a lot, like what was kind of the process or journey for that? Like what led you to be like, all right, I want to, I want to do my own thing. Well, I always, you know, I feel like it's that that, that very traditional, I mean, that stereotypical thing of the actor doing the solo show to get recognized, to get a TV show, to get, you know, and you hear the stories that they did this thing. And, you know, and I've sat through so many, and I know you have too, that are just the most self-serving, gross, pointless things. And I was so scared of that. And I, so I, I used to, when I was in, the Sunday company of the Groundlings, I did several things where I was like, I was like arrogant actors doing their solo shows. I did that twice, I think. And I did like, I always made fun of that sort of thing. And then I realized I am scared of it. And I thought about all the shows that have changed my life, like Lily Tomlin's show and Lon John Leguizamo's show. And these shows that I saw that I was like, oh, wow, these are really like incredible ways of, you know, and um, a lot of other shows that I really liked. So I had this story that I was telling at parties a lot about I w at Wake Forest again, where I went to college with Maya Angelou. She was a professor there. And I would kind of tell the stories about like 
you know, kind of this disillusionment, disillusionment I had with like working with and, and being around my first famous person who is, <clears throat> was different from what a lot of people may have thought about her. And so I finally got a friend of mine signed me up to do a storytelling show and made me get up in front of an audience and write, you know, I, I pre-wrote the story about my experience working with Maya Angelou. And I was so scared to get up on stage as me because I was so, I'm still to this day, like not comfortable in the stand-up space and like getting up and like, hey, I'm Drew. Here are, you know, some things to say that are genuine, that are not with a wig or glasses on, on that I'm just being honest about. And it went well. It was a lot of fun. I loved how it felt. It felt different. It felt very vulnerable. And then so I, I signed up again and had another story about a, a, a teacher in 10th grade who had a meltdown and held us hostage for the, for the class. And so I had a story about that. And then I had, at the you know, as that was happening, I had a night set up right after I was done with the Groundlings. I had a night set up of my sketches, my favorite sketches to do. And it just was falling apart. Like actors were getting jobs or not able to do it. And I just was in, I had like a month out. And I was like, I think I have a night of stories about teaching and I'm a new teacher now. So that I just was like, I'm going to try a night of just like me telling these stories that I've, some of them I had already done. So I kind of built, I guess, like you're saying, like kind of that slow moving, like, you know, iceberg, or whatever it is to like, I guess I'm doing solo shows now through like bits. Um, so I, I, I made a show called Bad Education. And that was my first solo show that I did at the um, Comedy Central stage. Mm-hmm. And I remember when because you have to wear a mic on the stage they record the whole thing the guy was putting the mic on me and i was hearing the crowd out there and i've never in my life had more of 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 an impulse to run out the back door and just like not do the show like what would happen if i just left (laughs) and i was telling the sound guy that i was like i think i'm gonna walk out the back door i don't think you know he was like ah and i was like but it was a blast it it was like i found that it was i was like this was the most fun I've ever had on stage and so I just I did a couple shows that were storytelling based that were just based on my life and just sort of I had a theme connected to them and then I built from there and then I I started I got bored about my own life and so I then I did a show where I played a character who was and I was like what if I played a character who was talking to multiple people um and it was right around when when uh, marriage equality was happening and I was seeing a lot happening in the gay community where it was, it was great that we were able to get married, but also I was like, why is that now immediately our want and our goal after all that we fought for in our mm-hmm. diversity and in our being different and in our being queer. And, mm-hmm. and so I had a lot, I had, I was curious about that. And so I wanted to, I did a show like that. And then that was, I, that was a lot of fun and that did well. And, um, but I was playing like my, dream character like I I still wasn't seeing gay characters that I wanted to play that I thought were flawed and kind of fucked up and kind of messy and not heroes and they were just human beings that had had lives that weren't like you know um politically motivated by the left to show that gay people are great Mm -hmm. which I'm all for sure but it doesn't make for the best drama or comedy for me um, and then I had another show that I just did where I played nine characters in a, you know, that w- at a birthday party. So I just, I, I just sort of, sort of like, you know, it's been a really fun place to be creative within and sort of just sort of say, what do I want to say when it's just me on stage 
for an hour yeah. that I haven't done yet? And how can I change the model that I've seen or how can I play with things that I've seen? And so, you know, um, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It feels like, like all this stuff you, it was, it was too daunting or too scary to fully like maybe define it. Be like, I am doing a one man yes. show. I am an actor. Yes. But if it's like, oh, I can hop up on stage, talk for a little bit, like you you soften the the depth of it, if you will. And it's fun how like your initial kind of foyer into uh, solo shows was personal stories. And then you got to bring in all your expertise of sketch and characters and kind of combine the two. So you're like, right. Oh, I can have my point of view through a myriad of characters with like a fun. Absolutely. And they're all kind of the same. I mean, this recent one that I've done where I'm playing nine different people and they're like, which one are you most like? And I'm like, I'm kind of like, I mean, they all come out of my head. Yeah. And I didn't want it to be like, I didn't want to do a night of, like, I didn't want it to feel like my SNL audition where I'm like, here's my range. Look at all the different characters I can do. I still wanted a through line in the show. And my, and, and so I, I was, I was actually like interested with my director of like, how are these characters similar? Like, what can I, how can I write similar threads to the characters to say, which I think a lot of people would resist because they're like, oh no, they all have to be completely different from each other. And I was like, I I think to say what I'm trying to say about the community, Mm. I want to have them kind of repeat or kind of pick up on conversations. That's kind of interesting to me and see if we can do that. And, you know, also, you know, it's, it's, otherwise we're sitting at home waiting for the phone to ring. We're waiting for people to like call us to do things, but when you know you have power to create your own material and even if it is five minutes at a cafe somewhere um do they still have cafes i don't know how do how do the people live i don't know (laughs) um but you know that's it that's great that's an amazing start that's huge and um and i've learned to just have i've had to have a lot of patience Mm -hmm. um creatively and career-wise just about like how it all goes now, over the years, have you given yourself a clear uh, like definition of success or has that changed? I used to. I mean, I think in my 20s, when I moved up here, I had these I had these age. I think that's what you do in your 20s. You just kind of go, when I'm this age, I'll have this happen. And I don't know why. When I was 22, 23, that age, I said, when you're 28, you are going to, I don't know why I picked that number, but I was like, when you're 28, you're going to become a groundling. You're going to get on Saturday Night Live and you're going to have you're going to have a part like a big part in a movie or or a TV series of some sort. Like that's going to happen for you. And how did I know that was the number when that was the year when I was up for groundlings membership, main company membership and I didn't get in. I was I auditioned for Saturday Night Live. Apparently I think got a little close. I don't know. I was in a, I was very honored to be in the group that I was in. Didn't obviously didn't happen. And a friend of mine had written a part for me in a movie that, that blew up that didn't go. The movie just didn't happen. All of that was within a few months at the end of that year that I was 28. So of course I had about a month in bed that I was like, you blew it. You had all these things that could have happened that you just were so close to that you didn't get. And it took time for me to realize that like, oh, that's boring. Like had I gotten those things, I just would have kept moving that number. Like when you're 35, you're gonna, or whatever, when you're 40, you're gonna, or whatever number I would have set in front of myself, I wouldn't have appreciated it. And 
you know, you also realize that's so many, those, that's all out of my hands. Like I did everything I could to get to where, to those places. And I don't know about the movie. That was a job that just, you know, whatever. I don't have, who knows about that. But the other two things I think were very good for me not to get. I don't know that I, it would have been a great fit for me in those other two spaces. And I got a lot of great knowledge and, and, you know, and connection there still. And I'm still doing, I think also I thought like, if you don't get those things, you're just going to quit doing this and you don't quit. Like I know now that I don't quit. So I think the definition of success is not quitting Mm -hmm. and, and, and like still checking in and, and following the green lights. Yeah. Following what you love and knowing like, oh, I've been hired to be a writer on things. I've been hired to direct things. I've been asked to be a consultant on things. That's really, that's great. And I can flesh out my career. I haven't been like, I'm going to only be an actor and nothing else do I have room for. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's like learning to go, oh, this other part of my brain and my other part of, of talent I can use in another way. And I think that's been really, that's been a really helpful, healthy way of looking at the whole thing. That's the great thing with art. It's like, there's no, there's no plan except for your plan. Like there's no, like, I think that's what a lot of people think. Like, how do I get on TV? How do I get famous or whatever their, whatever the thing is, it's like, there's no answer to that. And that's what people think you're holding this information that you don't want to give people. And you're like, no, there's absolutely no answer. And there's no rhyme or reason. And I have worked with and taught so many people that I was like, oh, surely this will happen or surely this won't happen. And I've been so wrong. And I've just learned to say, I have no idea. And it's not my job to call. Mm-hmm. And even for myself, you know, but but I've had to say, I mean, creatively, I've had to know when to stop. I, I mean, I, I, I had on one hand I had things come up, but I was in the middle of doing my show, my solo show in New York. The the dream that I had to keep telling myself is like, you're doing your one man show in New York city. Like that is so cool. So great. I, I did a lot of performances of it and I had other things come up and I realized that I needed to leave my own show for different reasons. And we wanted to keep the show going. And so we hired a brilliant actor, Jeff Hiller, he's a genius, to come in and make, he made the show better and he made, and he, he kept the show alive for months after I left. And I don't know that the show would have survived me coming to work every day going, oh, and having things in LA that I was trying to balance and all this stuff. I was like, you have to know within your own lane when to go, I'm out with love. Yeah. And it works like when you really, you know, and it's scary because you're like, this is the thing. What's better than this? Like, there's very little better than doing your own show, you know, every night in front of people in New York City. That's really one of the that'll be one of the highlights of my life. Yeah. But you have to know when to hold and when to fold, you know? Yeah. You got out before it became one of the biggest nightmares of your life. So Mm -hmm. you you got to hold on to the memory as a positive thing. What's your thoughts on the idea of being rich and famous? I'd love to be rich. I don't care about being famous. Mm. Like I, you know, I mean, I, to me, like when people come up to me and tell me that they, that they like what I do or like a video of mine, you know, really inspired them. And now, I mean, I've been doing these, I've been doing internet videos. I'm in the first generation of 
YouTube, you know, and all that, like, and thank God for that, because this was, you know, as we remember, you just had to do things on stage and hope that somebody saw you and liked you and then put you brought you into a room to maybe give you a job or something. But when people come up and tell me they really like what I do, um, it means the world because I, I, a lot of it, I worked on for a really long time. It didn't always go well. So at that level of fame is really nice. Like that people know me when sometimes when I go and, and it does make getting jobs easier sometimes, sometimes harder because they have an idea of who you are and you have to kind of change their mind about who you are. But that is nice. Um, but I also love that I can walk out of the house and go to lunch and not get hounded that I can have a night where I'm a little boozy or stoned at a bar and talk shit and not have it all over the news the next day or whatever. Like I love the, I grew up in a small town in the South where everybody knew everybody's business. I hated that. So if that was my life on a giant global scale, I, it would, I would be miserable. I would say though, Drew is someone, or oh, someone I've known for a while, someone who I would say is, is famous and kind of all of the comedy circles. Like you are one of those performers that I remember when I was, you know, first in LA and started doing Groundlings. It's like, I did Groundlings and used to be. And you were just one of those names that like every school of improv and comedy had nothing but like kind words to say, which is kind of a oh, rare, man. it's a rare thing. Cause <laughs> as you know, each school can kind of get its own insular team kind of sport yes. mentality. And so it was really yes. nice kind of seeing someone who's so, uh, not only talented and skilled at it, but like beloved and liked in all these circles to remind you of like, right, you don't have to, uh, you know, get these things branded on you or tattooed or die by them. It's sort of like, <laughs> follow the fun, like, oh, I'm doing something here. And this style works for me at this moment. I'm doing something here. Like, you're just a very uh, kind of like open performer to to all different avenues of comedy. And it's been oh, really cool to, to see and watch and admire getting to do so much of the groundlings in the sunday company and then not getting into the main company it made me go over to ucb it made me go to you know um i there was an alternative comedy night called garage comedy that was really popular back in the day and um in the early mid 2000s whenever that whatever that day was and i just started it made me just go into different spaces and get to meet other people and work in different ways and learn different things and not be part of a group. I don't know had I gotten in the, in the groundlings, I think I would have stayed in the groundlings. I don't think I would have branched out. Mm. It also made me make videos and it made me just sort of, you know, and I was also very lucky that I got brought back into the groundlings and I, you know, you know, like you and I both get to go do shows there mm. and still get to like be a part of that community. Cause I was so, the biggest thing about not getting into the main company is I was like, I hope I can stay friends and still work with these people right. and, and still be relevant to these people because there were, you know, there were so many people there that I just loved and I wanted to continue to work with. And I was like, I hope I'm not just like kicked out and forgotten about on a, on a, on a creative, on a business level and also on a, on a personal level. Right. And so when that didn't happen, I was like, oh, I got really what I wanted out of this place. And then I feel like there's almost a moment where it's like, if you're just kind of consistently nice and good, you get brought back. In. Like, it's just sort of like, yes. I would perform at other places and I talk to people and they'd be like, oh, come, yeah, join. And it's like, right, like, 
there's some things that are a little undeniable and you just like when you're a human being that people would just want to hang out with they will yeah i know and it's like i i try to be good i try to make people laugh i want to i want to have that respect but i can't really control if somebody thinks i'm funny or if they think i'm talented i but i can control my attitude and my teamwork and my and what i loved about the improv community was that it was team and it, and I, if i was putting a show together if i was doing you know so many times on tv shows they're not going to hire somebody they just don't like yeah. you know it's also really hard to laugh at somebody that who you know on a personal level is an asshole it's really hard for you to go oh but they're undeniably great i i tell people like if you decide to be an asshole and be a jerk you're putting so much pressure on yourself to be the best. Yep. Like I, yep. I'm confident. I think I'm pretty funny. I can do stuff, but I have off days or I have days with audiences you're that aren't hilarious. You're brilliant. Well, thank you. That are like, yeah, you know, we've had those moments where it's like, I felt okay. I, feel, I just feel okay. And the crowd wasn't feeling right. It. And I leave going, thank God that afterwards, if I meet anyone, they'll be like, Oh, what a nice guy. Like, you know, as opposed to, Oh, the person who wasn't good was also an asshole. What a <laughs> awful combination. <laughs> Right, exactly. You know, and it's like we have no we have no perception of that either. Anyway, so like the one thing we can control is like smiling and being nice to somebody if they come up to you after they saw you on a show and they want to say something nice to you. You can control that narrative. Now, now this question's uh kind of a tough one, but let's say ten years from now, so Drew, ten years from now comes back to today. What advice do you think future Drew would have for you? Oh boy. Um, that is a great and tough question. I think, you know, I'm working on this every day. So hopefully in 10 years, I'll be better at just sort of, of just the, like the, the mantra of, of relax, you're enough one day at a time, you know, and also looking at, you know, and looking and being like, look what you've done in the last 10 years, which obviously I don't know now, but like, if, if, if I went backwards to the, to myself 10 years ago, be like, look at all the accomplishments. Look at what, not only like professionally, but look what you've learned about yourself. Look how you've been able to do this. So um, I'm hoping that even more also like you're younger than you'll ever be. You're, you know what I mean? All that stuff that you kind of learn, you know, and also it, it's like, you lived the next, you lived these 10 years, you know I mean? There's also yeah. that the older you get, the more you're like, Oh, I'm, I'm still alive. That's, that's huge. Acting is this thing you love doing and performing and being creative, but it's not your hundred percent identity. It's, it's a part right. of you. It's something you do, but like you like to pull in things of like, well, just in general, look at your life, look at all the other areas of growth and your relationships, your friendships, travel, new discoveries, new things. Um, where I think I often find like the detriment can be when you are like, I'm an actor. That's all I know. That's all I do. And for some people, that is how they have to show up. And that's their journey. Sure. But I think for most humans, holistically, it's like you have to be like, hey, if I was any other profession, would I want to be just that? Like, no, you'd want to have a balance or you want to have right other areas. And it, and it makes you better. And it makes you better as an actor if you know about the world and you know about people and you know about yourself and you have a balance and that it is a thing that I think too, like I've, I, I'd also, it's helped when I've read these celebrities or these, not, but I should like accomplished actors when they talk about 
how they've done things. And I remember reading when Kate Blanchett did uh, Blue Jasmine, she had a deal. She was like, I have to be home every day. I have to take care. I have kids to take care of. And it was, it was something, it was a schedule thing. And she was like, I had, they, I had an out every day because I, I needed to be a mom. And I'm like, she gave that performance and won an Oscar deservedly for that. And yet was also like, I have to take care of my life. I'm not just immersing myself and like turning into this pickled, drunk, sad person for, you know, four months of my life and ruining my body, ruining my soul mm-hmm. in order to be an actor. And it's like, yeah. well, that's, if Kate Blanchett does that, then we can be cool with a life outside of this other stuff. And it, and you bring in stuff that you're not even aware of that you're not, that you can't learn in a 99 seat black box, you know, whatever I'm talking, you know. Yeah. Also, you can't go out on the street and just start acting. I mean, you can, but my God, how, yeah. how foolish, how yeah. boring. It's my, you know? my big pet peeve is I, I don't like the, and I feel like it's dying down, but the glorification of just the method actor or the like, you've got to yes. live in it. You like, like I always found it amazing. Like, you know, everyone has choices in life and there's things in my life that I'm like, Oh, that's just not for me as I go through my life. And I've had some people be like, well, don't you want to experience it once? So as an actor, you know what it feels like. I'm like, no, cause I know what pretending feels like. I know exactly. What, I know what my imagination feels like. So when people are just like, Oh, how impressive they lived at the, as this role for months, I go, how psychotic. Yes. How annoying. I, annoying as much as psychotic. I just like, when you hear the thing about like, Oh well, this actor. I never met the actor. I only met the character. I w- I'm sort of like, okay, that's really that's so annoying to me. Well, well, Drew. Now it's the time of the show to actually uh, bring out the person who's always in in character, the roast comic. Oh my god, yes, Raz Clifford. Oh, I can't wait. He always pops yes. in to take the guest down a peg. So <laughs> come on out, Raz. Oh, look who it is, Drew Drogi. Oh, God, this is going to be hell. Okay, everybody. So, you know, Drew does a lot of performances all over Los Angeles. And I'm telling you, if you're given the opportunity to see one of these shows, please do yourself a favor and don't go. (laughs) Trust me. And for those of you just listening, you can't see Drew. Let me just say he's got real character actor vibes. Okay. (laughs) Drew, you remind me of so many terrible people. Is this true according to my notes? Yikes. It says here you don't vote. You don't care about doing your basic civic duty. You think it's pointless. Ooh, that's rough. No. Oh, my Oh, my notes are wrong? I don't know. I feel like the people can decide if what I said is true or not. They're smart. Oh, Drew, I'm looking at your IMDb, and I got to say, you've gotten a lot of work, which can only mean one thing. You've You've made some sort of deal with the devil. Is that is that true? Are you do you reg- do you regret selling your soul? Yeah, not really. Okay, I'm good. I feel like the the devil probably regrets having your soul, though. I think that it probably goes both <laughs> ways. And boom, you just got struck by the Rasmanian devil. Oh no! <laughs> you just got razzed. Look, if you ever see me around, please walk the other way. I, Done. I, thank you. Ross, where can we catch you? Where can we catch your next show? Oh, I'm hoping to do a show called So These Are the People That Survived COVID. And, oh. and I just You're hoping to. I'm hoping to. We we can see if we can get, oh. you know, a theater that can, you know, foot my bill. I, oh, okay. I, I have, okay, great. I expect uh it's it's a pricey ticket. So hopefully I'll be able to get to do that soon and we'll see who makes the cut.
I hope so. Right. Well, well, let me know. I'm available. Oh, I'll, I, I'll come do it. I know you're available. Don't worry. <laughs> All right. So long, Drew. Again, uh, this was Bye, this was hell. Bye. Bye, Raz. Oh, <laughs> that guy. What an ass. Yeah. But he's one of those people that, you know, he's just so so undeniably talented that he could get to be an asshole. Well, that's it. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. That's that's why he he gets all the jobs and he gets all the work. I know. Gets away with it. When my when my agent calls me and says it's not gonna go your way, uh it's going to Raz, I can't deny it. You're like because I've lost so many jobs to him. But I'm like, you know, look, I get it. I get it. And he's a nightmare on set. He eats all the craft service and he is uh hated by the community, but he's yeah fucking brilliant and one of the i know one of the things he does on sets he brings a screwdriver and he starts just undoing things it's really dangerous like it's so funny though it's very oh, funny. gosh i have seen so many accidents you know the sets just split in half Ah, mm-hmm. uh, you know people are really mad at first and some people get hurt but gosh the belly aching that's the laughing of it all the just the oh my god i have seen god we don't finish the days so we're laughing so hard mm-hmm. That's why you bring him in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> now, obviously, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. But if if it wasn't acting and comedy and performing, what would you be doing? What profession or area? You know, and if I wasn't doing anything in the art space, I think I would rather teach creative writing mm. than teaching, like, read this book and write papers about it. I find that so boring. Um, and not, I, I like, I, I learned about, like, I wanted to make things. So I think helping people make things would be one thing. Another thing too, though, I think about like when I was in kindergarten and I had to fill out a thing, uh, like what you want to do with your life. And I do think like, oh, that's a very different thing. But uh, when I was five, I said I wanted to be a veterinarian. And I'm like, oh, I feel like that would have been a very, but I love animals so much. Like I I could never have been a human doctor, like, you know, doctor for humans. But, but, um, you know, I, I love I love dogs and cats and um, not crazy about other animals, but dogs and cats. I have such a connection to, I, if there's one dog at a party, I will talk to the, hang out with the dog more than any person there. So maybe a vet. Okay. Yeah. Well, if you have, forgive me, but if you haven't inevitably when you're a guest on a late night show, what's a story you'd want to tell? I have had one bad audition in my life. (laughs) So many. I've been so bad in so many auditions. There's, I mean, I, I think about, and I try, I try to shake them off, but I definitely remember the bad auditions more than the good ones. And we, I remember the bad shows. I lock them into my brain. Um, one that was especially like, so just awful and crazy and weird. Um, we haven't really, I, I, I've done these videos where I play Chloe Sevigny and I've been, I've been playing Chloe Sevigny for 20 years and I was starting it on stage and I was and uh, doing it on stage. And then I started doing these videos that took off and they were like, like this, like, you know, um, I mean, but from like 2009, I think maybe even earlier when the videos were taking off and, and doing. So I would get weird auditions in that way, just from that space. And there was a person that I kind of knew at parties and stuff. And he was always, let's just say he was on drugs a lot. And he was uh, an assistant for this new movie, casting on this new movie for Larry Clark, who directed Kids the first movie that Chloe 70 was in. And he was like, we've got to get you in. We've got to get you into this movie. Got to meet Larry, da, 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 da. So somehow this was a thing with this casting director called me directly and was like, we, you know, we want you to show up. And they made me show up as Chloe in the audition in the middle of the day. I had to dress up. Now I don't do drag. I do drag in the booger sketch comedy sense of 
I put on a wig and it's about the comedy, but I, I've gotten better at painting my face. I've gotten better at all that stuff, but I'm not an expert at any of that. Mm. Um, and so I got in full Chloe drag at like nine in the morning and drove all the way across town and waited in this waiting room with everybody else in their, you know, plain clothes. People were snickering. I, oh, I, I got lost. The, the people in the, I had to ask some construction workers where the office was. I'm like going up and I'm walking out in a wig and, and I'm not comfortable in costume, especially in drag out in the world. I don't, I, I lose all my power. It is not fun for me. Mm. I love doing it on stage and then I rip it off right away. I don't like, so I'm wandering the streets trying to find this place. I'm sitting in, people are laughing at me. Finally, Cassandra was like, calls me and she's like, who, what part are you reading for? And I was like, it was this miscommunication with this person that I knew who got me in to meet Larry Clark. I walk in the room dressed as her. He's confused. He doesn't know what this is. He's like, let's just have you do some improv with one of these other people. So I'm doing improv as Chloe 70 in front of Larry Clark, he was drinking a giant odd walla juice. I remember he had this giant jug of juice. And he, he was like, so yeah, you're a big fan of Chloe. You know Chloe. And, had this, and it was like so terrifying on so many levels for Google them. We know why. And I was like, oh, well, I do this thing. And he, I just a comedy thing that I do. And he's like, do some of it for me. So I go into, I... My mouth was so dry. I was so nervous. I was so uncomfortable. I started doing some of my bit. It sucked. He didn't laugh. Nothing happened in the room. And he was like, thank you. We'll be in touch. So I walked out of there, ripping the wig off, being like, oh my God, I am such an idiot for doing this. The next day, the cast director calls me and she was like, well, we loved you. And so we want you to be in the movie. And I was like, what? Oh my God, I, I, I'm so shocked and so confused and whatever. That's crazy. And I said, well, let me give you, at the time I just had a manager and I was like, let me give you my manager info. She's like, oh, that won't be necessary. And I was like, why not? She's like, well, this is just a quick thing. We're just going to need you for a day. And you're going to be playing a party guest and you can dress up like Chloe or you can be anybody you want. And you're just like at a party. And we don't have lines, but like we might throw some at you. Uh, it, you know, if it happens, just, you know, and I was like, wait, what is this? And I said, what if, what it, am I going to get paid for this? And she goes, oh, I'm not sure. She goes, um, we're not, we're working all that out, but I'm just going to bring a wad of cash down to the set and pay you all that. And I said, a wad of cash? It was a non union extra job that I was being offered. And I think they felt sorry for me that I was just this sad fan. And they were like, let him be in the party scene and pay him $50 for it. So I did not do that job. Um, I also learned no matter what, tell your reps, make sure everything's cleared before you go into the room. Also just make sure details are there before you get in full drag because, and drive all the way down there because uh, that was not, that was not a great experience. Oh my God. My life. It's what a nightmare because, yeah, to them, you looked like just a very unprofessional, sad person who's like, oh, yes. I heard the director's going to be there. I'll show up as Chloe. They'll love me. I, I, exactly. I know. Like, literally, it was like I had no. And I've gone in for this casting director since then. And she's been like, you look familiar. And I'm like, nope, we've never met. But also, I'm sorry. Fuck her. 
for like not vetting it better and being like, why would you not? And I know that person I know is who knows what he said to her, but I was like, why would you let this? I'm like, I do sketches. I'm, I'm fine. I don't need it. Like I'm, you know, you, there's no winning in that situation. You're like the person who dressed up the day after Halloween and you're trying to like fit in with the cool kids. And you're like, I don't need this. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was the worst, most humiliating feeling. It was, it was on me to like do more research, but also on them to like they look at you and go do a tiny bit. on. Oh, this isn't the right part. I'm so sorry. Right. Let's, Right. And he's like, oh my gosh, of course. <laughs> also, I turned in a resume. And I was like, I've, I've done some things yeah. at that point. So I was sort of like, okay, anyway. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, aside from hopefully more Chloe videos, what are some things that the audience <laughs> should uh, keep their ears and eyes peeled for for you? I will say, I, have to, I guess I would be a little vague. I, um, I've got, I'm a part of a group. I'll just be really vague. I'm part of a, a stage group out here and we all are or a lot of us got to be in a movie that's coming out next year um written and directed and starring chris pine oh. um which will be really fun a, a quick little cameo but we've got that and i'm i'm doing i've got my first um drama series like first tv episodic drama i'm gonna be on an episode of your honor with brian cranston and rosie perez that's so fantastic. Well, uh, yeah. I can't wait to see all that stuff. Yeah. Dude, thanks again for hopping on. It's so good to see you and Thank chat you, with man. you. This was so much, it was great to see you too. Uh, yeah. Thanks listeners for listening. I'm your host, Daniel Lacker, and this has been Almost Almost Famous.